Good morning. I received a text from Israel from Mother Whitney yesterday uh, expressing her faith that God would work within me today. And then that was followed by an, oh, by the way, text. Don't be nervous. I get nervous, too, on, on Sunday mornings when I preach. Although I think that text should have been sent to Justino because uh, this morning at the 8, he didn't see me sitting in the 4th or 5th pew and scooted out to call Kathy. Where's Mike? He's not here. What am I going to do? So uh, <laughs> not to worry. I was here. Um, so, uh, And then her final, oh, by the way, text was, I hope you're going to preach from the pulpit um, because that's what you should do. And so this, is the, this morning was the first time uh, that I've preached up here. So um, anyway. So don't you love questions that begin with, what is the greatest? Or who is the greatest? They test knowledge. They reveal personal value systems. They invoke passion and controversy. They require focus and a decision. Who is the greatest baseball player of all time? How would you answer that question? Okay, knowledge comes first. For example, how many Hall of Famers could I name? What do I value? What should I count most? Hits, RBIs, games played, a lot to consider. Controversy, should I consider steroids? What about Pete Rose, in or out? I know others may disagree with my answer, so do I have the passion to stand behind my choice? For example, what if I offended my Yankee friends by picking Ted Williams instead of Babe Ruth? How long can I take to think about it? Can I even make a decision? Yikes. One of the Sadducees, a lawyer, asked Jesus this type of question. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? They weren't asking because they were struggling to figure it out. It wasn't a teacher, I need help moment. They were testing Jesus. For the law they were referring to was not simply the Ten Commandments. There were over 600 requirements in the law. And there was controversy over which ones were most important to follow. So it was a complicated question inviting a complicated answer. Jesus would have to navigate and interpret the law. Surely his answer would provide opportunity for criticism and debate. And my guess is they were ready to pounce. So Jesus answers the question. His answer, however, is simple and clear. And I don't imagine he needed a lot of time to think about it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What makes this such a great answer? His point is simple and unambiguous. And he doesn't require a sermon or thesis to bring it home. It shows not only knowledge, but true understanding of the law. The first two parts of his answer were pretty straightforward. Love God 
and love your neighbor. Nothing new there. Those are two important ones. I think it is the last part of his answer, however, that was revealing. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. With this statement, Jesus sees the forest for the trees. The Sadducees must have been thinking, what did he just say? Did I miss something? Is that it? Is that the whole answer? Don't you love it when the simplest answer works the best? I'm a person who tends to overcomplicate things. I like to think about arguments on all sides of an issue and can get muddled in the middle. I find myself working in the gray areas rather than painting in black and white. Advice I would often receive from my first boss was kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. With his answer, Jesus keeps it simple. No need to interpret and measure oneself against each of the other 600 laws. Jesus is saying that by loving God and loving our neighbor, we can't help but follow the other commandments. Jesus is saying, don't walk around with the burden of thinking of all the things you shouldn't do. Instead, live with the joy and opportunity of all that you can do with love. With this statement, Jesus lays a simple path to a relationship with God. So how do we follow this path? First of all, let's remember that these are laws, not commandments. I see them as a call to action rather than obedience. Again, Jesus is telling us what to do rather than what not to do. Although this may be a more simple approach, it doesn't mean it's an easier one. For example, take any individual law saying what not to do. Do not commit murder. Okay, good there. Do not steal. Okay, good there too. Honor the Sabbath. Well, mostly okay, but this is pretty straightforward. Now take the action commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Sounds easy. But who is my neighbor? What about the neighbor I don't like? What about my, my boss or my coworkers? Do they count? Are Ebola victims in Africa my neighbor? What about ISIS terrorists? You know, I work all day long. I have a long commute. I like to exercise on the weekends. How can I fit the love of my neighbor into my schedule anyway? What's wrong with just playing by the rules? That maybe that's easier. Maybe I'll try to love my neighbor during Lent. That's a good plan. So yes, this love part is challenging. And Jesus is asking for a big commitment. For example, how are we supposed to love God? <clears throat> no less than with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's asking us to give it everything we've got. How do we love with our heart? I think this means that we do it with passion and enthusiasm.
We share it in a way that others notice and can join in. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, attending regularly since birth. However, my first real love for the church began when I was a teenager and I attended a youth service with about 200 other kids my age. It was called a jazz mass and it was full of passionate song and prayer. I felt joy and energy that I had not experienced before. Love for God, love for God was from the heart and I was drawn to it. It started me on a path that made me firmly committed to God and the church. How do we love with our soul? When I think of loving God with the soul, I think of a deeply rooted and unwavering commitment. My dad is an Episcopal priest. About eight years ago, he moved to Florida with my mom with dreams of enjoying being outdoors 12 months out of the year. Within a couple of years, however, his hips deteriorated and his kidneys failed. So he's been confined to a wheelchair and goes to dialysis three times a week. Now my dad has always demonstrated his love for God. He's been pretty obvious about it. He could see God at work all around him. He would even thank God if we caught a green light on the way home from church. Thank you, God. So I wondered how his health would affect this love. Would he become bitter and angry? If anything, his love for God has grown deeper and it's truly embedded in his soul. And you can see how it inspires those around him. How do we love with our mind? Loving with your mind means focus. This is not always easy, as our minds are very prone to distraction. Especially in this day and age where communication, information, and entertainment are constantly at our fingertips. Add to this a life of abundance, and one can be tempted to forget about God completely. In my abundant life, I find it easy to get distracted on things and activities that can pull me away from loving God or loving my neighbor. Sometimes I've simply got too much to do, so I don't think about God. I'll push it off to some other time. How do we love with our strength? Here, I think Jesus is calling us to use our God-given strengths or talents in exercising this love. For example, here at St. Stephen's, our choir loves with the strength of their voices. Our Sunday school and confirmation teachers love with the strength of their ability to inspire and teach. Our community dinner leaders love with their ability to cook and serve a meal. Our mission committee loves with their ability to identify and respond to those in need in our community. Our property committee loves with their ability to fix things and make this an inviting place for us to be. So the first and greatest commandment is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now how about the second, or love your neighbor part? Jesus says the second is like the first. 
We are often reminded during our worship that God has no hands and no feet but ours. With this commandment, Jesus is asking us to be his hands and feet, to share God's love with our neighbor. And I think the same level of commitment applies. I think that it is very fitting that this scripture is painted on the wall in our church above the altar. For it is within this church that God inspires our hearts, nourishes our souls, feeds our minds, and exercises our strengths. It is where we join together in loving God and learning to love our neighbor. It is where we can become not just obedient followers, but energized doers in our faith. We as individuals make up this church. And without it, we would struggle as individuals to carry out these two great commandments. Next Sunday is Consecration Sunday. On this day, we'll ask our parishioners to affirm their commitment to St. Stephen's and our work together with a financial pledge for 2015. As Reverend Judith explained last week, this is our opportunity to exercise our missionary obligation. Before you pledge, I'd ask that you review Mother's Whitney, Mother Whitney's letter that was recently sent to our parish. It includes some facts about what our parish needs to make ends meet. Please gain the knowledge to understand that need so that you can make an informed decision about what portion of your annual giving should go to God's work at St. Stephen's. To maintaining and building this church where we love God and love our neighbor. I'll share just a few basic facts and figures with you that are in that letter. Our average pledge in 2014 from 187 families was about $46 a week or $2,400 per year. Our operating expenses per family in 2014 are about $65 a week or $3,400 a year. So we're asking the parish for an average of $20 per week per family of additional pledge for next year. This will enable us to continue securely as a parish that can fulfill our call to love God and love our neighbor. Before making your pledge, I invite you to consider making a pledge that reflects a commitment of heart, soul, mind, and strength. I challenge you to make a decisive commitment that says, I believe in the difference this church can make for me and for my neighbors. And I want St. Stephen's to be there so that it can make that difference for future generations. Amen. <clears throat>